if something's off now, why not figure it out sooner than later? Because for me, I had no choice. I was losing weight. I wasn't sleeping. My energy levels were terrible. I had massive brain fog, which is another big symptom because the yeast produces something called acetaldehyde, which is basically like alcohol. And you get drunk from the toxins that Candida produces. So now you forget your best friend's name. Now you forget where you put your keys and your wallet and your cell phone. That's when you got to fix stuff. Now, can you get fixed if you're at rock bottom and you're listening? Totally. But man, it's just a lot easier when you're not that deep in the rabbit hole. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today I'm talking with Dr. Evan Brand and we are discussing the connection between gut bugs and the root cause of fatigue, weight problems, and hormone imbalance. Now you may not realize it, but most doctors are specifically trained to quickly make a decision about what medication to recommend for a symptom or a disease. Sadly, there are very few practitioners well-trained to identify the root cause of those symptoms or how to educate their patients to address those root causes. And that's especially true when it comes to gut health. Luckily, we are in for a treat because Dr. Evan Brand is one of those rare functional practitioners and he is specifically going to break down exactly what to look for when it comes to gut infections and how they are often the root cause to other chronic diseases. Now, in case you're concerned that you may have a gut imbalance such as inflammation or leaky gut or irritable bowel syndrome, here are some key indicators to consider. If you are experiencing some of these symptoms below, it could be a sign that your gut is at the root cause of your poor health that's happening right now. The first one is chronic constipation or diarrhea. Number two is mood imbalances. That's right. Your mood can be a clear indication that something's going on with your gut. Next is skin rashes or skin irritations, regular pain medication usage, and you're experiencing other gut symptoms such as gas, bloating, and acid reflux. Now I bet you're wondering, okay, yes I have a few of these symptoms, but what can that mean or what can that lead to? Well, it's important to understand that the rise of chronic disease, including chronic fatigue and autoimmune disease, can be attributed to a lot of factors, including the use of pesticides, toxins in our food, air, and water, overuse of medications, chronic viral infections, mold exposure, chronic stress, and even genetics. Many of these subjects have been touched upon on this podcast, but the most important factor is really the way that we eat here in America. I know that you've heard of the standard American diet, which is really processed foods, sugars, carbohydrates that aren't serving genetically modified ingredients, and then also foods that are low in fiber, plants, antioxidants, and core nutrition. Now, the standard American diet most specifically can cause a lot of gut imbalance, potentially leading to other health issues. Now, it's important to also know that the gut is known as a second brain, comprised of numerous microbiotic organisms regulating and protecting the mucosal lining. Now, the mucosal lining is important because all of our key nutrients from that food that we ate is actually heading into there, into the bloodstream, to really allow our bodies to function on a day-to-day basis. Now, when there is an imbalance known as dysbiosis, studies have shown that increased inflammation in the body can predispose our body to a number of chronic diseases. 
now you're beginning to kind of see the connection. Now when the permeability of our gut lining has been altered due to what we eat, our stress levels, our medication usage, or just a bombardment of toxins due to our environment, this allows toxins, bacteria, foreign substances such as food, proteins, and antigens to enter into the bloodstream causing leaky gut. Now this ratio of microorganisms is super important as well because of the type of bacteria residing in the gut. Remember, some of it can be very beneficial, which is so critical to the way that our bodies function and the way that we even break down food, but others of those bacteria can be harmful. So beneficial gut bacteria, as I mentioned before, acts as that protective lining to the gut mucosa that keeps foreign substances from entering outside of the body or into the bloodstream rather, when they shouldn't. So when there is a change in the composition of the amount of good bacteria versus pathogenic bad bacteria, or even other pathogens such as parasites, viruses, candida overgrowth, it really just depends, this can affect the immune system regulation of the gut, making it harder to fight off these infections and easier to develop diseases such as autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue, and hormone imbalances. Now this is exactly what Dr. Evan Brand specializes in. I'm excited to bring his expertise to you today. But before I bring on Evan Brand, I wanna quickly introduce him to you. So Evan Brand is an author, podcast host, and certified functional medicine practitioner. He is passionate about healing, chronic fatigue, obesity, and depression because he had his own issues with irritable bowel syndrome and depression early on in life. Now, he uses at-home lab testing and customized supplemental plans to really get to the root cause of what's going on for a range of health symptoms. Now, Evan Brand's podcast, called the Evan Brand Podcast, has had over 6 million downloads and counting, and he's also been the author of many books. Now, if you want to check out Evan Brand or even schedule a consultation with him, you can check him out at his website, evanbrand.com. Well, thank you, Dr. Evan Brand, for coming on the Essentially You podcast. I am so thrilled to have you today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing awesome. I'm glad to be with you. Wonderful. Well, I want to jump on in. You are a functional practitioner, and I know that you have a big story around that because so often when we decide to go into this realm of medicine or this of this healing modality kind of, of treating people, we oftentimes have a story connected to it. So what brought you into functional medicine and how did you decide that this is how you wanted to take care of your patients? Yeah, great question. I had to do it to fix myself really, which is most of us were wounded warriors. You know, we've got scars and battle wounds from what we dealt with. And for me, it was irritable bowel. You know, I got a diagnosis of IBS when I was a teenager and dealt with depression for probably a decade. I mean, honestly, you know, I do so many interviews a year that the longer and longer and the more and more I think about this, the further back I can trace back my symptoms to even early childhood when I would just brush stuff off and I thought it was normal, like being just exhausted and feeling like there was a cloud over my head and having skin issues and gut issues. I mean, some of the stuff I just brushed off that now I look back and I was like, man, I was like eight years old. I was 10 years old. I was 12 years old and I already had symptoms. And then the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when I ended up in college, like most people. Oh goodness. College. You know? Oh, the yeah. Costco runs, the ramen noodles. Ugh. <laughs> yep. So I, 
I went to business school and figured I didn't want to be a bean counter, but that's when my health really took a dive because I was working third shift at UPS to pay for college. And so I was up at midnight. That was when my shift started at work and I would get off at 5 a.m. I was working under artificial blue lighting, which we know how terrible that is now. And obviously I was operating opposite of mother nature's rhythm. You know, I was up at night and sleeping during the day, which was just completely backwards. And of course, my energy levels were just abysmal and had many, many unresolved gut issues, mood issues. My skin was probably a big one. My fingernails, that was a sign that something was really off. And I tell people all the time, just check your fingernails. That's kind of the first sign that something is going off in your gut. If you see vertical lines, vertical ridges, you may even feel the texture on your fingernails. That says there's malabsorption of some sort. And then the question becomes, okay, well, why? What's the root cause behind that? And for me, it took a couple of years. Eh, more than that, really. Probably took five years to figure it out. But after some comprehensive stool testing, which is something that your conventional doc and even your quote-unquote specialist, your gastroenterologist, they're still using outdated testing called antigen-based testing, which can be 20 to 30 years outdated. And now we're u- using something called DNA PCR-based stool testing, which is about a thousand times more accurate. So I finally got those comprehensive panels done. I found out I had H. pylori, which is a common bacterial infection. It causes damage to your parietal cells. These are the cells that make stomach acid in your gut. And when that happens, you start to reduce levels of stomach acid. Now your food starts rotting and putrefying in the gut, and that starts to feed and allow yeast, candida, and fungi and other bacteria to overgrow. So when you hear about SIBO, kind of a generic term, I don't really like it because I'd rather know the species of bacteria. But because that's the buzzword, that's what I'll use in this context. You know, I definitely had SIBO going on. I had a yeast overgrowth. I had H. pylori. I had multiple parasites, one called Cryptosporidium, one called Giardia. Those both come from contaminated water. My guess is that when I lived down in Austin, Texas for a few years, there's a place there, maybe you've been, called Barton Springs. It's a kind of a wild spring, if you will, that has concrete wrapped around it and the water is freezing cold and it's very refreshing, but most fresh water in the U.S., lakes, rivers, streams, creeks, etc., is contaminated with parasites. And you can get this stuff up your nose. You can swallow the water. And we're talking microscopic bugs. You're not going to see it. But it can cause widespread damage and inflammation to the gut. And then that causes more symptoms, brain fog, fatigue, energy issues, sleep problems. I had insomnia at, at the peak of all these gut issues. And I didn't really, really get out of this trench until I got rid of the infections. Like I had done the whole paleo thing. I dialed in the diet, tons of plants, organic as much as possible, all the good things that you should be doing, meditation, all the cool stuff people talk about, but it didn't work. And it was because I had these root causes. So I tell people, I don't care how many supplements that you buy. If it's just guessing and checking, then that's that's what it is. It's guessing and checking. And so now I've just adopted this whole philosophy of test, don't guess, because I've kind of coined this term, supplement graveyard. So many people have a supplement graveyard. You've got 20, 30, 40, 50 bottles of something that you've purchased. Maybe you heard it on a podcast or a blog. And you're like, well, why the heck did I buy this? And what is it actually doing for me? Or is it doing anything? And I want to just save people from the thousands of bucks that I personally spent on nutrients trying to guess and check. And that was before I got the data. But once I got the data, I cleared the infections and now I feel pretty darn good. You know, a couple of little random symptoms will pop up here and there. Like I just put a podcast up today actually about this story, but a couple of weeks ago, 
I popped up with a couple heart palpitations. I was I was sitting down at night with my wife and I started having some heart palpitations. I thought, okay, this is strange. I'm not stressed. The next day was an off day, wasn't stressed about work, slept pretty good that night. Blood sugar was pretty stable, kind of ruled out all the cortisol, adrenal stuff. And finally, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go run some blood work. So I threw together a little custom blood panel and I looked into my iron and my ferritin levels and my iron saturation. And guess what? My iron and ferritin were like five times higher than normal. And what you'll discover is high iron, high ferritin, they can cause the same symptoms as low iron, low ferritin, which is something we typically see with women due to excessive menstruation. We'll see things like hair loss and fatigue and breathlessness. You know, the women just can't catch their breath. A lot of times it's a iron ferritin anemia. Me, I was off the charts. So long story short, you're like, okay, Evan, this is a tangent. How'd you get here? Well, it's because I'm telling you, look, there's no finish line with all of this. There's always going to be symptoms that pop up in your life. But if you can know what you're doing, you can run some tests like that. I literally threw together a blood panel. I printed out the rec form. I ran straight to the lab and got it done. And then a few days later, I have my results. So it's like when you focus on data, then you can figure out what's going on. So then I went to the the American Red Cross. I donated as much blood as I possibly could. And then now I'm taking a bunch of different herbs to try to hurry up and get the iron and the ferritin back down. And I screwed myself up too because I love vitamin C for supporting adrenals. Mm -hmm. I was doing vitamin C like all day. But the thing I forgot is that vitamin C increases the absorption of iron, especially at mealtimes. And here I am doing grass-fed steaks and bison and things like that while I drink my vitamin C. So if I was a female and I had low iron, I would have been in good shape. But being a man who's not consistently losing blood, my iron was through the roof. So that's kind of my, my long story that takes you to present day. I love it. I appreciate that. And one of the things I took away from that is one, all of the kind of the fact checking, the testing that needs to be done. When you're taking care of your patients, and I know that you see a lot of different types of people. What are some of the big things that pop up the majority of the time? What are some of the consistencies that you're seeing going on? I would say infections are huge. I had a guy this morning, a chronic fatigue client. He'd been fatigued. He told me as long as he could remember. He said he was like passing out in elementary school, middle school on his desk, just never feeling refreshed from sleep. So I would say fatigue is probably number one. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the fatigue bucket with somebody, you're always, I picture any health problem as kind of a bucket. Okay. And it's like cancer, fatigue, insomnia. Okay. You've got this bucket. This is the issue. What are the ingredients inside of this bucket that we can investigate, identify, and then we basically plug those holes or we drain the bucket. So with fatigue issues, I mean, we've seen, and this is a real statistic, believe it or not, in the past decade, we've seen chronic fatigue accelerate 11,000% increase. I, I don't even I don't even know how to comprehend that. 11,000% increase in chronic fatigue in the last decade. That's nuts. And depression, now the Center for Disease Control is saying, which I predicted this several years ago. If you go back to my old podcast episodes in like 2012, you'll hear this. But I said, look, depression was sitting at number three back in about 2012. And I said, I guarantee in the next three to four years, depression will take over. And guess what it did? So now depression actually is above heart disease as the number one cause of disability in the United States. Uh, I just actually posted something today too that the World Health Organization is saying that we've seen the biggest spike ever in depression in teenagers which no surprise, social media and all the other factors, part of that, you know, depression is the highest even among kids now. And so I've had 
five and eight and 10 year old and 12 year old clients. And the parents will tell me that these kids are suicidal and they're not even 10 years old yet. And of course people say, oh man, what, what is wrong with these kids? And the answer is always m multiple things. But when you ask, okay, what are you finding? So those are kind of the big symptoms. And then what am I finding that are the causes? Well, the infections are huge. So about one in three is the average for parasites. So out, out of tested, let's see how many tests have I run? I've lost track. It's over 2000 clients that I've tested now via stool and urine and saliva for hormones. And I would say one in three has parasites. So that could be Giardia, could be Crypto, it could be Blastocystis hominis, it could be Dentamoeba fragilis, Cyclospora, there's many, many others. Worms, I'm actually seeing quite a bit of worms. This is a very new technology, like within the last two months, so I don't have as long-term data as I would like on this, but I'm seeing worms, like hookworm and whipworm, almost every day. And these could be anywhere from an inch to a foot. And we start using various herbs to push these worms out. People will see it. They'll poop out a foot long worm and send me a picture. I've got more pictures in my <laughs> inbox of worms and poop than I would like. Oh. But that's the reality. And then I would say two out of every three people have candida overgrowth, if not three out of every three. Put it this way to you. If I see someone that does not have a candida overgrowth, I'm very surprised. And speaking of candida, you're a speaker on my summit. So I don't know when this interview goes live, but hopefully people will go check out your talk because you did a killer talk on essential oils and candida, which I think is going to be pretty profound for the audience. And that's such an important topic because yeast is so common. I agree. So there's the little mention about, about you and for people to go check out your interview okay. there. It's called Candida Summit. Yes, it is. It's going to be amazing. And I know we're going to touch upon that. And so you're talking about the 11,000% increase. And my, my, you know, parasites and worms have been around forever, gosh, potentially longer than we have. What else is playing a role here? Because it can't just be the parasites. It can't just be the gut imbalances or the microorganisms that are existing in our gut. There has to be something else happening with us where we've seen such a massive increase in depression and in depression, anxiety, exhaustion, fatigue. What else are you seeing that's going on besides the microorganisms? The opportunistics is what I like to call them. Yeah, yeah, good question. I'll have to blame a lot of it on mitochondria, but then the question becomes, okay, well then our mitochondria are powerhouses of the cell. Why are they dysfunctioning? So if you keep asking why, usually you'll get to the answer. And the answer would be toxins. And so I run a test called GPL Tox, T-O-X. It's a toxin report that you can run via urine through a company called Great Plains. I did an interview with the guy who founded the company, Dr. William Shaw, really cool dude. And I'll test these people with chronic fatigue. And I had a guy a couple weeks ago, he is in the trucking industry. So him and his company, they operate, I want to say it was maybe 10 or 20 dump trucks. You know, so these are diesel powered dump trucks. Maybe some of them are gas, some of his smaller vehicles, but I think the big boys are all diesel. And we ran this guy's toxin report. You can look up what's called MTBE and ETBE. These are gasoline additives that most people have in their bodies at some level. And anything above what's called the LLQ, it's this kind of like the lower level limit. Anything above 200 on this reference range is high. And this guy was at like 24,000. So he had so much gasoline additives in his body. And this is neurotoxic. This kills brain cells. This affects mitochondria. This affects the liver. This affects the kidneys. His levels were so high that it like broke the machine. I mean, his levels were so far in the red, it had no more room to be off the charts. There's dry cleaning chemicals, there's xylene, there's benzene, there's VOCs that are coming from your paints and your floors and your carpets and your new car smell. That's all VOCs. 
There's environmental pollutants, like if you live near a busy road or a busy highway. The most toxic people I've seen are in pretty big cities. Los Angeles, San Diego, New York City, San Francisco, Miami, any big urban area where well, if you're if you're closer to the ocean, sometimes that that can help. Like if somebody lives in LA but they're real close to the beach, sometimes good. Good. I can see the ocean from my window. <laughs> good. So see, you're probably because you're in San Diego, so you're probably okay. Now, I guarantee there's some level of toxicity, so you For could sure. run your report and find out, but Generally speaking, if you're closer to the ocean, but you're in a dense urban area, you have some level of protection just based on the ocean breeze. So the toxins are huge. Antibiotics. I mean, if you're if you're eating organic and you're eating food without antibiotics, then that's good. But let's say you had a dental infection or let's say you had an ear infection or something and you go and you take antibiotics. I can't tell you how many cases, including my own, started after a round of antibiotics. So fatigue, yeast overgrowth, et cetera. I would say vaccines, which is controversial, but if you look into some of the chemicals and preservatives used, especially I've seen a lot of people, I'm not talking just children with chronic fatigue that have been vaccinated, I'm talking adults as well, work with quite a lot of veterans, people that have come back from Afghanistan and some of the other uh, current wars. And a lot of these veterans, you run their toxin report, they're off the charts with heavy metals and other various toxins. Maybe they were operating a tank or they were operating some big diesel truck. So it's just the modern reality. And this doesn't mean, okay, let's all go live in a bubble. This just means, no, you got to get the data, figure out what your puzzle pieces are. Because think about it like this. If you're a Lyme expert, you're going to diagnose everybody with Lyme. And you're going to say, okay, their fatigue is caused by Lyme. If you're an adrenal expert, you're going to say, oh my God, everyone has adrenal fatigue. Everyone's problems are adrenal issues. If you're a thyroid expert, you're going to come on and say, everyone's issues are their thyroid. So I try to be a specialist, which is good in a sense because I work on the gut so much, but I try to be a generalist functional medicine guy too, which is say, look, okay, I, I don't want to have dogma. I don't want to try to blame everything on one thing because it's usually incorrect if you do so. Agreed. You know, this is the thing that's kind of keeps pressing on. And I, I know how important it is to get tested. I know how, how important it is to get to the root cause, but there are so many people, Evan, that are not getting tested. What, what do we do about them? I know there's a lot of people listening to this right now and thinking to myself like, oh man, I don't even know where to begin to start. And you know, you're just one person, you, you yourself. And I know that your schedule is packed. I can't even imagine what your waiting list looks like. What do people begin to do if they are showing symptoms? Clearly, like you said, we're living in a toxic world. Majority of us are in these major cities. What are the things that we can begin to do? Because you talk about that supplemental graveyard, you know, and, you know, I take supplements every day and luckily I've been tested. And I know even with being tested, and you kind of gave that example today as well, that even though I have done all this good work, all of a sudden I started having these palpitations. I knew I needed to get more testing and you were able to kind of whip up a tailored panel real quick, but I know that's not, that's not everybody. So what do you do for people who aren't able to get to someone like you or myself? Well, one thing I forgot to mention too, are the various pesticides. So if you're not eating hundred percent organic at home, make that your goal. Yes. Also make sure that you're not using a bunch of chemicals and crap around the house. I had a lady who I've never seen a level on her toxin report. She had this insecticide that was just off the charts. I said, are you like in the bug industry? Like, do you go around spraying people's houses for bugs or something? Like, what's the deal? I, I don't, I don't have an explanation. I've never seen somebody this high. She goes, oh no. She goes, I'm a freak about bugs. She goes, if I see one spider, I call the bug man and have him come bomb my house. 
I'm like, oh, good Lord. So this lady, you know, she hires the bug people to come in probably 12 times a year. She has several young children and they just bomb the entire house with the bug chemicals. So make sure that you're not doing something silly like that. Make sure you're not using Roundup. You know, it's got Mm -hmm. such a cute little name, Roundup, weed killer. It's like, okay, this is glyphosate. This is one of the biggest. And a lot of times it's combined with 2,4-D, which is another ingredient that was used in Agent Orange, which they sprayed from above during the Vietnam War to take the leaves off the trees. It's a defoliant and it's toxic stuff to the mitochondria. So if we're kind of talking about the context of fatigue, which is probably the most common symptom that a lot of your clients or patients are listening to and dealing with, that's a huge one. So if you get the glyphosate out, you stop using Roundup, you start using organic products instead around the home. There are if you pay somebody, cool. There's organic lawn care services you can hire. There's peppermint oil, for goodness sakes. I mean, there you go. I just bought some cedar oil where I live. We've got a ton of woods and a ton of ticks. And so I've been looking for a natural tick kind of uh, spray, if you will, for the outdoors. So I bought this. It's called Wonderside. It's pretty cool. It's an Austin company and it's a concentrate. So you just hook up your water hose and you just spray your yard with it. And like I said, we've got tons of wood. So I'm hoping that I can reduce the amount of ticks. I've already pulled off probably 15 or 20 ticks off myself this year and we're just getting started. So really hope to to mitigate that. And then back to your question about testing. What do you do? Well, I mean, people like you and I can order testing. So even if you have to wait a month to get to you or you got to wait a month or however long it is, six weeks to to get to me, you can still run testing now. So try to get those foundations run. And I would say your foundations are always going to be looking into the big body system. So this is your adrenals that you can test with saliva. Some argue that urine testing is better, although the literature is not really saying that's true. There's stool testing that you can look at that you can do at home. There's urine testing, which we talked about for chemicals. There's organic acids testing you can run at home. And that way, if you're waiting for a practitioner to have availability, you've already got testing in the works. And then if you're thinking, okay, then the next question comes up, okay, well, functional medicine is generally a cash service. It's not covered by insurance, et cetera. What do I do? Well, that's when you've got to have either a coin and you flip a coin because all these labs are important and you say, okay, heads, I get this test, tails, I get that test, or You reach out to a practitioner and you say, okay, based on my case, I've got a limited budget. Here's my priorities. Where would you start? And then you have to just pick. My bias is the gut because that's where I see so many things change with people and that's where I see significant progress. For example, with chronic fatigue, it's very rare that I use energy supplements with chronic fatigue clients. And people are like, okay, you don't use energy supplements. How do you fix them? If you just fix the gut and you get them to start digesting their food better, all of a sudden they get 50, 60% more energy in six weeks. And it's crazy. And I can't even believe it. And I was actually shocked. And I didn't even understand the mechanism at first. Why, when you fix gut issues, does energy get better? But it makes sense. You've got to have these amino acids that come from your proteins. So vegetarians, vegans, you know, they're guilty of not getting enough aminos in a lot of cases. If you're digesting your meats, though, those amino acids that come from your proteins can then go to manufacture your neurotransmitters and your hormones. And if that nutrient absorption was messed up because you had an H. pylori infection for a decade, well, you can see how just fixing the gut bug, using digestive enzymes, potentially probiotics, depending on what phase you're in, all of a sudden energy level is better. And we didn't give you energy supplements because now you're making your own energy. So that stuff's pretty cool. And it's always just so rewarding to see stuff like that. I love that. That's that's a really good way of looking at it. And I want to talk a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into gut, you know, as one of the things that you're looking at all the time or what you're seeing when you're doing your testing are the parasites, the worms, the candida. 
what are core symptoms that people begin to experience outside of fatigue? Is it bloating? Is it constipation? Things that people, because a lot of people don't rec- realize that it, it's all happening in the gut first and foremost. So much of our inflammation is happening there. But then we start to see symptoms in our thyroid. We start to see symptoms in our adrenals. That's where we start to really think that that's the problem. But usually it always centers back to the gut. So where are the core symptoms that really can show people, whoa, this is the gut issue that's that's really existing for me? So I mentioned the fingernails, you know, yeah. check out your fingernails. If you have any issues with your skin, this could be rashes, this could be patches of weird skin, this could be some type of like an eczema, dermatitis issue. It could be a scalp issue. So especially for your kids, I work with a lot of toddlers because many people don't work with young kids for some reason, but I've had to graduate myself into working with kids because nobody else was out there. A lot of kids will cradle cap. You know, if you if your kid has cradle cap, that's a candida overgrowth in the gut and you could pay the money and, you know, get me to prove it to you on a piece of paper. But trust me, if you see a scalp issue, like a big yellow crusty scalp or some dandruff, there's likely a yeast overgrowth in the gut. Other issues, I mentioned insomnia. That was a big one for me when I had sleep problems, uh, when I had gut bugs. Waking up, not feeling refreshed. That's a big one. Issues with appetite. So appetite could go either way. Appetite could go down. When I had H. pylori, I had no appetite. And I actually lost a bunch of weight. That's how I figured something was wrong because I lost like 25 pounds without trying. I was freaking out. thought I had cancer or something. Thank goodness I didn't. Just had infections that were stealing my nutrients. So it could be appetites going low or it could be your appetite is ravenous. You may get done eating your meal and you think, okay, did I even eat something? Am I actually satiated or not? And that's a big sign. If you're just eating, 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 you're never really feeling full. So then you're binging to try to repair the issue, which is really you're getting robbed of your nutrients. I would say also mood issues are really common. So depression and anxiety can have a massive issue with mood issues being caused from the gut. And look, your psychologist, your psychiatrist is going to prescribe you an antidepressant. It's not a deficiency of an antidepressant why you're depressed. It's not a deficiency of an anti-anxiety medication of why you're anxious. Now, are there cases where that can save someone's life who's suicidal? Absolutely. But you always got to work backwards and figure out, okay, I don't need lorazepam. I don't need Xanax. I need to figure out where the anxiety is coming from. And it could just be something simple like an infection is releasing toxins into the bloodstream and then the adrenals get kicked in. You start releasing adrenaline and cortisol and all of a sudden you feel anxious. So it could be that. It could be blood sugar issues. That also happens a lot with infections because once again, you're not absorbing things. So now your body's misfiring, if you will. It's like you have a a gas tank on E and you're trying to floor it onto the highway. You may or may not make it onto the on-ramp. I would say... Man, I could go on. Hormones, yes. hormone issues. I mean, a lot of women have menstrual issues where they either stop cycling or their cycle is off. Maybe it's a week early and then it's a week late. Could be the bloating, the constipation, as you mentioned. You know, these gases that candida and bacteria produce can affect gut motility speed. So it could be constipation and the next day or the next week it's diarrhea. Here's the thing that bugs me is when people just keep blowing stuff off. It's like, okay, I have diarrhea every week it must just be food poisoning. No, it's not. Look, you're not supposed to have diarrhea. That's not normal. So like, don't brush that off. If you have that happen, there's something going on. Now, what is it? I don't know, but it's something. So you've got to figure that out. Don't just brush symptoms off. I just want to encourage people, if you have symptoms, please, 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 this is going to save both of us a huge amount of of time and, and, and stress. If you wait until you hit rock bottom, we have to pull you out of this trench. And 
we're both happy to do that. We're both here for you. We're both happy to help you do that. But look, if you just have symptoms now and you know something's not right, I encourage you be more proactive instead of reactive. If you wait till you're at rock bottom, you're about to lose your job because you're so tired, you're so depressed that you're about to get a divorce, you have so many gut issues, you can't leave the house because you're stuck to the toilet. Like, look, those are extreme cases. And usually that's when people reach out. I just want to tell you, look, you don't have to do that. If something's off now, why not figure it out sooner than later? Because for me, I had no choice. I was losing weight. I wasn't sleeping. My energy levels were terrible. I had massive brain fog, which is another big symptom because the yeast produces something called acetaldehyde, which is basically like alcohol. Mm -hmm. And you get drunk from the toxins that candida produces. So now you forget your best friend's name. Now you forget where you put your keys and your wallet and your cell phone. That's when you got to fix stuff. Now, can you get fixed if you're at rock bottom and you're listening? Totally. But man, it's just a lot easier when you're not that deep in the rabbit hole. I hear that. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree to that 100%. And so often exactly people come at that rock bottom state. Okay, so let's say that for the most part, we're going to focus on the gut. Where do we even begin to start? So I know that we do have the Candida Summit. And so then I think a big reason why you had decided that you wanted to run a summit on Candida was because you see so much of proliferation of this in your patients, pretty much all of your patients. So let's say that a good majority of people are dealing with Candida in the gut. Where do we begin? And the panels come back, exactly they have it. How do we begin to repair Candida? I know that a lot of different practitioners are jumping onto the summit. A lot of people have different ideas about this, but this is something that you treat pretty much every single day in your practice. Where do you start with one of your patients? So first I'll refine the, I guess the variable a bit. So if it's just Candida, that's going to be pretty easy. But I will say it's rare that it's just candida. So we'll kind of say the typical situation, which usually it's candida, anywhere between three to 10 different species of bacterial overgrowth could be clostridia, it could be pseudomonas, it could be streptococcus, it could be citrobacter, it could be prevotella. If you just Google prevotella copri, C O P R I, prevotella is an infection I see a lot because I see a lot of RA a lot of rheumatoid arthritis, and Prevotella is present in 75% of people with RA. So that's just a little fun fact for the day. That's kind of a typical case. It's Candida plus a bunch of bacterial overgrowth, potentially maybe H. pylori thrown in there, probably some E. coli, probably some worm of some sort. And depending on what's going on, that's going to shape the plan. Because if it's just Candida, that's awesome. That saves us a bit of time and a bit of struggle and a bit of hustle. We can use less firepower. So I have a formula called Microbiome Support 3, and it's a blend. And I use this a thousand plus times. This is things like olive leaf, Paul de Arco bark, French tarragon leaf, tinospora, horsetail, and a couple others. We can just throw some herbs at it like that and probably get rid of candida. But if it's parasites and bacterial overgrowth as well, we've got to bring in some more firepower. So we may throw in things like barberry. We may throw in bearberry. We may throw in berberine. We may throw in some carpilic acid. There's 20, 30 different herbs, which a lot of us practitioners rely on, and everybody's going to have their personal spin and favorite on which one they think is going to do the best, whether it's oregano or something like monolaurin, which is like a coconut extract. I don't really care what blend you use as long as it works. So could you just randomly buy a bunch of these herbs I've mentioned and throw it together and get success? Maybe, but it's probably better to use someone's formula that's going to have a 
combination of everything and the right ratios and, and, and blends. Like I said, so there's tons of stuff out there. I'm not telling you, hey, my way is the only way. I'm just telling you what I've what I've done that works. And then the question with candida always becomes, okay, well, what about fermented foods? Things like kombucha and sauerkraut and kimchi. And my answer, and this is not some scientific study because who's going to study this? There's no money in investigating this. This is just a clinical pearl I found. When people have a yeast overgrowth, generally speaking, I will pull out the kombucha and some of the other fermented goodies just for the first three to four weeks so that we can make progress with the yeast. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I take people off. I amazed to me how much people drink, like how much kombucha. They're addicted to this stuff. Now, I mean, I I mean, I love kombucha too, but you can get crazy with it. The, The worst case of a yeast overgrowth I've ever seen when you got the organic acids back, there's two markers called arabinose and tartaric acid. These are ways that we can measure the level of yeast. The highest level I've ever seen was a lady who was drinking five kombuchas a day. I mean, that's just nuts. Okay. Kombucha is good, but a gallon of it's not good. No, I always recommend like a shot. I I would agree with you. I I think a conservative approach is much smarter. And is it bad for you when you have candida? Not necessarily. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just telling you what I do to get success. And I pull that stuff out temporarily. Now, can you add it back in? I'm sure. But I want to try to take the gasoline off of the fire. So it's like the firemen show up to the fire and there's a little kid in the back pouring gasoline on the fire. And these guys are in the front. They're throwing all the herbs in, which is the fire hose. And they're trying to put out this fire and they're like, okay, we're giving all these magic herbs that Evan said should work, but yet the candida is not getting better. And it's like, okay, well, there could be somebody putting fire on it, like a lady who's doing five kombuchas a day. Well, and not just the five kombuchas, but okay, so we've got the herbs and, and I'm assuming it's more than just the herbs because I feel like even with the strongest herbs that are really targeting a worm or, or candida or bacterial overgrowth, if you're continuing, like you said, the fire, if you're continuing to put fire on the situation, although you're, you've got the fire hose over here, I'm assuming other foods have to go as well. Yeah. And I, I don't agree with the approach of, okay, you basically need to just starve to death to beat candida. You know, sometimes these people come to me, Evan, I've been on this candida diet for six months or whatever. And yeah, and, it's heartbreaking to see this. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, look, the perfect diet is not going to magically cure it. Like I had a woman actually this morning email me. She says, Evan, I've been doing a plant-based diet to cure my cancer. And I, I read stuff like that and I get sad because so many people talk about diet and I started off my career as a NTP, a nutritional therapy practitioner. That's all I did. It was food is medicine. And I think food is medicine and it's very powerful. But at a certain point, look, if you're just doing a plant-based diet to treat cancer or maybe candida, but just regarding that email, that's sad and, and that's scary to do that. So I think, yes, the diet can be a needle mover, but can you cure yourself of all your problems if you just eat this miracle diet from this book that you bought? Probably not. Now, do you need to reduce your mangoes and pineapples and all the crazy sugary fruits? Snicker bars? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Evan, they're still eating Snicker bars out there. Oh, I know. I, I can't even believe they still manufacture those. It's terrible. You know, a lot of people, I'm just trying to get them on mango. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and I say there's a huge percentage of people like that that still are needing the transition from from fake food to real food. Yes, but we're talking about those who are actually, they come to you, four months they've been on this candida detox or whatever, and they've completely changed the food. And I've gotten those patients yeah. as well. And, you're, and, and still we've got to do some modification on the diet. But you're telling me the big piece of this is really getting the right formula. 
that's that's the needle mover for you. Yeah, I don't think that, okay, if all of a sudden you were eating a handful of blueberries and you eliminate that handful of blueberries because, oh my goodness, fruit is evil, fruit is the devil, it's going to feed candida. I don't think that's going to be a significant needle mover. Now, could you potentially get better a few days faster if you were to cut out something like a handful of blueberries? Maybe, but I mean, if it's a pretty low glycemic fruit, like berries, and it's not causing any major blood sugar issues, you're probably going to be okay. I don't think you need to lose sleep about you had a little bit of fruit here and there. Now, there's always disclaimers and there's always caveats to that. So we're just kind of speaking to a, a big general audience. General, yeah. I did fruit the entire time during my candida protocol when I had parasites and bacterial overgrowth. I did fine. I just did berries. I did not do anything sugary. I did not do kombucha. I cut out everything fermented, including yogurts and such. And for most people, I tell them to pull out dairy except for butter. Most people do okay with butter during the candida protocol. And I would say in six weeks, you should be making significant progress if you get a protocol dialed in. And then I just want to address one other common question, which is, okay, well, what about probiotics? Because everyone talks about probiotics and they're so cool and trendy and spore-based this and this comes from dirt and you know the the probiotic world just kind of silly and here's what i found and once again this is not like okay black and white science proved it evans way is the only way no this is just what i've seen throwing probiotics in too soon can be the same as throwing kombucha in too soon i've had people where and maybe somebody listening is shaking their head where they take some probiotics and they feel worse and they're like okay so and so on this blog or podcast said this probiotic is amazing i have to take it so i spent 70 bucks on it i took it and i feel like crap and my joint pain flared up and blah 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 what's going on and that's cuz you you don't want to come in and fertilize the entire garden right away you may need to remove the weeds first and then you fertilize the garden. So if you throw all those probiotics in, sometimes that makes you worse. That's why 90% of the time I only do probiotics in what I call the post-infection phase, which is phase two. So clear out the bugs. Depending on the symptoms, depending on the infections, typically there's a retest in between to see if we've cleared out all the bad guys. If symptoms are better and budgets are concerned, we may skip the retest. And then phase two, that's when we'll throw back in some of the fermenteds, maybe just like a, a forkful of, of this, a forkful, a spoonful of that, a sip of that, and see how people do. And then you should be smooth sailing. But this is not something you need to be doing over and over again. If you've been trying to target and get rid of candida for a decade, then your practitioner is probably not doing something right, or they're missing something, or maybe you're sneaking some cookies that you're not telling us. You know, it, it just, this should not be a lifelong battle, I guess is my message. Got it. So after six weeks, we should really begin to see a clearing. And I agree, six to eight weeks, usually when I see all of that clear out. And then we're, we're not talking about a lifetime protocol here. I mean, clearly a lot of habits need to be consistent. Lifetime, you know, this is all a journey. But when you when you're clearing those bugs, I mean, not that they're not going to come back, but we should be pretty clear. Things should begin to start working again. I would say so. Brain fog should be dissipating. Energy levels should get better. Your poop should get better. Your sleep would likely get better. Sex drive should get better. The way you feel after meals should get better. You shouldn't get eight months pregnant. You have to unbutton that top button on your pants. That should not happen. That's not normal. So if that's still happening, you probably got some more work to do. Got it. And then real quick, just a real quick question digestive enzymes. Do you feel like they could play a big role for people? Oh man, they're, they're huge. They change my life. And they change my life too. I take them every day. I, I love digestive enzymes. So I was just checking in with you about that. I do too. I'm giving you some air fives right now. <laughs> love it. Yeah. So, I mean, I got turned on to enzymes 
when I was doing a lot of my nutritional therapy training, mm -hmm. I came across Dr. Jonathan Wright's book, Why Stomach Acid is Good for You. And basically he tested, I don't remember how many thousands of patients with something called the Heidelberg test, which doesn't sound too fun. You take a pill that has a string attached to it and you put it down your stomach and it tests your pH. And just for people that don't know, you don't want an alkaline stomach. This no. word alkaline gets thrown around and I just think it's kind of sad because people think that alkaline is good in every aspect and it's not. If, you're, if your stomach is alkaline, that's the perfect environment for candida and bacteria and parasites to thrive. You want a pH of about 1.5 to 2, meaning that it is so acidic that if you cut a hole in your stomach, which don't do it and try it, but that if that acid poured out onto your shoe, that it would melt your shoe. That's what the stomach should be like. And that's how you neutralize not only the yeast, but the bacteria and the parasites. And so if you have an H. pylori infection, this is why so many people with H. pylori infections, like I mentioned earlier, it kills the parietal cells ability to manufacture HCL. So now you're making less stomach acid. Mm -hmm. And then everybody says, look, this is a perfect neighborhood to move in. So you want an acidic gut. And after age 20, what Dr. Wright found was that you make less and less stomach acid every single year after age 20. So if you're 30, you don't have that iron stomach you had when you're a teenager. If you're 60, if you're 70, if you're 55, psh, look at your levels of HCL according to his book and his research. Your levels are so low. And I would highly recommend if you want to have optimal digestion, if you're paying 20 bucks a pound for your organic grass-fed ribeye, you better be digesting that bad boy. Yeah. So do enzymes and acids. And I don't always take them. I'm kind of on an on phase right now where I'm currently doing a bunch of enzymes, but there may be a phase in my life where I cycle back off of them. And I tell people, if you're traveling, you're eating food, you're getting water that you don't know the source or the quality of, that's your nutritional insurance policy. I mean, more than a health insurance policy, enzymes are your health insurance policy. Take those with you. And if you go get some bad sushi, hopefully those acids and enzymes you took with your meal will be enough to kill that stuff off. And then you don't have to start all over with this gut work we discussed. Agreed. Well, and one of the things that people don't know is that we only have a finite amount of enzymes, you know, and we run out of those after a certain point. And especially if we're not getting enough of those raw fruits and vegetables to continue to replenish. So most people really do need digestive enzymes, depending on how they've been eating over the years. So here's the other deal too. People are eating when they're stressed, people are scrolling on Instagram and Facebook and playing on their phone when they're eating. You know, I'm guilty of doing that. I'm not going to stand on my ivory tower here, but you listening, look, you got to put that, I don't care if it's a newspaper, if it's Instagram, if it's Facebook, whatever you're doing, you got to, you got to put that stuff down because digestion is a parasympathetic process. Your nervous system is not wired to read some big headline, nuclear bomb, this and that and then digest a meal. That's just not going to happen. I mean, think of your ancestors. They pr were probably sitting on the edge of a prairie looking over into a beautiful field and there was no civilization. It was just the wild land. And they were just sitting there chilled out eating some berries and maybe they were eating some bison meat that they had harvested. That is what you're wired for. You're not wired for watching TV and scrolling on your phone and eating at the same time or doing homework at the same time or I'll get on my wife about this too, getting up and scraping the plate into the garbage can while you chew the last bite of food. It's like, no, sit there and chew it and really, really, really be mindful when you eat just that alone. I had a lady told me that she went from chewing her food like two or three times and then she swallowed to like 10 or 15 times and she swallowed. And just based on that, her bloating went down and all she was doing was chewing her food a little bit better, which was kind of pre-digesting it. Yeah. And guess what? That's free. That cost, 
zero dollars to do. Agreed. Absolutely. And don't think that taking a digestive enzyme is going to solve your non-chewing problem. <laughs> Although it may do a little bit. Right. I mean, and here's the deal too, you know, you've got places like Chipotle and Qdoba and some of these other like fast food places where you can get higher quality, but it's so soft and mushy that you just shove that mush down your throat. It's avocado and guacamole and rice and, and meat, and you just shove it down and you don't even have to chew it. I mean, it's like nursing home food or something. It's just too easy. So you want to be eating stuff with texture that requires you to chew. Chewing is good. And when you start chewing, that sends the signal downstream through the vagus nerve to the stomach. Hey, look, we need to start making acids and enzymes. Food is about to come down here. And then the gallbladder kicks in and you start squeezing the gallbladder and you're pushing out bile so that you can help digest your fats. So this is how it's supposed to work. And then of course, PPIs, you know, these proton pump inhibitors, they do the same thing that H. pylori does. They, they reduce stomach acid. So if you have heartburn issue, first of all, read Dr. Wright's book. Don't take it from me. But 98% of the time, your heartburn and your upset tummy, your indigestion, it's too low stomach acid, not too high. So I'll repeat that because people are like, what? 98% of the time when you have an indigestion problem, it's because your stomach acid levels are too low not too high. And taking Tums or some other acid blocker is only going to make the problem worse. It can relieve the symptom for a minute, but it's not fixing the issue. I love it. Well, I want, I have one more question for you and we we've covered some things and a lot of the things that you're personally doing in your home, but what would be the one daily habit, Evan, or natural solution that really moves the needle for you and your well being in general? Oh man, what a cool question. <laughs> uh, I would say it's being out in the woods and if you're close to the ocean, then go to the ocean. I don't care where you go, but just immerse yourself in nature. I've got a pretty big patch of uh, woods behind me, and I'm out there every single day. Now, the downside is I get covered in ticks. The ticks. The t- I was going to say the only thing that I'm concerned about is it's those bad. Ticks for it's you. bad. It's terrible. I mean, some of them are so small, they look no bigger than like a speck of pepper. I mean, you think, is that a freckle? Is that a mole? Is that a tick? Like, what is it? So, I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I felt something crawling. Guess what? It was a tick on my on my side. So it, it is terrible and I'm doing all the preventative strategies I can. But still, I'm not going to stay out of the woods just because it does provide so much benefit for me. My daughter, she's almost two years old. She loves going out in the woods. We go hiking together. Yes, we check her for ticks just as much. And I would say that's that's my solace. You know, That's where I really find the mental clarity I need to resolve issues and work through projects in my mind. And I've got a, a solar powered fountain out back. So I just go out there and listen to the sound of the running water. We've got like seven or eight bird feeders. So my wife and I always have a pair of binoculars lying around. So we go watch a bunch of birds during the day. I mean, that's my that's what keeps me sane. I love it. Thank you so much. And where can we find you? What What is the thing that you really want to share with us in terms of how to find you today? Yeah, people could just type in Evan Brand. You'll find me and you'll find my site. It's evanbrand.com. Check out the podcast. You'll be a guest on there as well. I've got almost 300 episodes and it's all free. So there's literally hundreds of hours of free content for people to dive in. I'm sure if you have a specific question or topic in mind, I've probably covered it. And if people want to reach out for consults, they can find the info at the website as well. Love it. And is there a name for your podcast? I just want you to share the name for us real quick. Yes. Yeah. It's just called the Evan Brand Show. Love it. The end. So just type in Evan Brand on your podcast app. You'll find me. 
Perfect. All right, Evan, thank you so much for coming on today. I love it. And I can't wait. Thanks the, for having me. Yes, this is going live with the Candida Summit. This is going to be an amazing summit. I know that you chose this topic because this is a concern that, I mean, let's be honest, almost everyone I've ever tested has Candida as well. It is a big concern and, and definitely you're going to get so much out of it from attending this amazing summit that's going live in just a couple of weeks. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And people can check it out. You may have your own special link, which I encourage you to use her special link to access the summit. But if you just Google or just type in candidasummit.com, you'll find it. And people probably know the summit model that listen to your podcast, but just to tell people how it works, basically you register, it's free. You get like seven days. You can listen to all the talks for free if you have time. If you don't have time and you want to keep the talks, they give you the ability to purchase them. And that just furthers our mission. So that's kind of how the deal works. If you've never heard of it, I'm sure you have. But if you haven't heard of summits, that's how they work. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Evan. Take care. Okay, bye. Now that the wheels are turning and you are really beginning to see the importance of your gut health, I want to invite you to take it a step further today and consider actually keeping a food journal for at least seven days. And specifically, I want you to keep a food journal for at least seven days because what you eat on the weekends can often be a little bit different than what you do on the weekday. And when you're writing down what you're eating, I'm talking about everything, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, name it. I want to know exactly what you experience after you eat that food. Are you feeling sleepy? Are you having gas and bloating? Are you more energetic? Are, do you feel a mood shift? brain fog. What is going on after you eat that food? And the reason for this is that food is most importantly information and your gut is receiving that information and responding to it throughout the day. And this will give you a clear indication if certain foods are actually causing trouble or if some foods are really serving you and your body. Now, if you are concerned that you may have a gut infection or candida, and it may be connected to the root cause of what's going on with you, I want to encourage you to listen to at least a couple of the interviews on the Candida Summit that Evan Brand has created. Now, this summit isn't just about Candida. It's about healing gut inflammation, overcoming leaky gut. It's about connecting with that gut autoimmune connection and seeing how your gut is connected to mood, stress, and emotional well-being. Now, the experts that he's bringing on, again, are world-renowned gut experts, and they're not just going to be looking at candida. They're going to be looking at overall how to heal the gut, how to get it back to balance, how to overcome dysbiosis, and what exactly is going on in the microbiome. So you'll have a lot of great insight and information to really put into action, even by just listening to a couple of these interviews. So... As I mentioned before, I'm actually a guest. I'm a guest presenter. So hopefully you have an opportunity to check me out as well. If you want to register, I am going to have the Candida Summit registration inside of the show notes here on this episode. And it's easy to register and the content is completely free. So you can absolutely listen to whatever you want. All you got to do is just go to the show notes. And this is going to be drmarisa.com slash episode 26. I just want to tell you a little bit about what's coming up next. I am bringing on an incredible woman that you are going to feel so inspired by. My interview is with a good friend of mine and fellow San Diego resident, Steph Goudreau. She's also known as the creator of Stupid Easy Paleo, and she shares the most amazing and personal podcast interview. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a very powerful conversation that I know you can relate to. And that's going to be on our next episode coming up. 
Now, as always, I just want to thank you so much for stopping by. And please just take a moment if you have a chance and you haven't already to share your feelings about the podcast. So rate and review the Essentially You podcast on iTunes. Or I would love if you feel like this episode has really resonated with you or any episode for that matter, I'd love for you to share it on social media or maybe just pass it along to someone who could really benefit from the content. That way we can get the word out and change the way we think about our health for ourselves and our family. Well, it's always a pleasure and I can't wait to see you on the next episode. Until then, have a wonderful day. 